Hey team, this is James from the World's Last Night. Today we are in Exodus chapter 15. I'm going to go ahead and pre-warn you that chapters like this are not my favorite. The vast majority of this chapter is actually a song that was written um, that the Israelites are singing as they are traveling out from Egypt through the desert and they're worshiping God. So a lot of people, I guess, uh, might find a lot of meaning in it, especially if you're more like artistically inclined. I mean, this song that we're about to read is actually, I think, quoted two or three other additional times in the Bible, specifically in Psalms. So it is a very significant song. Let's jump in. Verse one. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. They said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. He has thrown the horse and its rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. So it's hearkening back to the Egyptians being put asunder in the sea, both horse and rider. Remember, they had chariots. And a line that's really good in here is where it says, The Lord is my strength and my song. It's not saying the Lord gives me strength. It's literally saying the Lord is my strength. The Lord is my song. So... I, I don't really know exactly how to explain the difference between those two things, but I think it's quite beautifully put, and it says something about the intimacy between these singers and their Lord. Um, he says, this is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. As, you can, as we know, because we've been reading this um, since Genesis, these people have a great history of patriarchs who worshipped God, going all the way back to Abraham. All right. The Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. He threw Pharaoh's chariots and his army into the sea. The elite of his officers were drowned in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Lord, your right hand is glorious in power. Lord, your right hand shattered the enemy. You overthrew your adversaries by your great majesty. You unleashed your burning wrath. It consumed them like stubble. The waters heaped up at the blast of your nostrils. The current stood firm like a dam. The watery depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue you. I will overtake you. I will divide the spoil. My desire will be gratified at their expense. I will draw my sword. My hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath. And the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. So there's a lot of, um, I think it's called anthropomorphism. Basically, um, we're using human elements and ascribing them to God, such as God's right hand, um, your nostrils, whereas God is a spiritual being, but we're describing him in human terms. So, that's very interesting. All right. Lord, who is like you among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, revered with praises, performing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. You will lead the people you have redeemed with your faithful love. You will guide them to your holy dwelling with your strength. When the peoples hear, they will shudder. Anguish will seize the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be terrified. Trembling will be, 
Trembling will seize the leaders of Moab. The inhabitants of Canaan will panic, and terror and dread will fall on them. They will be as still as a stone because of your powerful arm, until your people pass by, Lord, until the people whom you purchased pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your possession. Lord, you have prepared the place for your dwelling. So they're celebrating a future whenever they're going to basically take over Canaan. And all these people there are going to be dispossessed by the hand of God. Lord, your hands have established a sanctuary. The Lord will reign forever and ever. I think that's the end of our song. Um, when Pharaoh's horses with his chariots and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. So time out. Miriam is Aaron's sister, which also makes her Moses' sister, which makes her most likely to be the girl who watched Moses going down the, the Nile River in the basket. And then was the one that went and got Moses' actual mom to nurse Moses for the princess of Egypt. All right. Also, she's called a, she called a prophetess, so she had the gift of prophecy. All right, verse 21. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. He has thrown the horse and its rider into the sea. So I guess they were just chanting that, which is pretty cool. A little battle chant. All right, verse 22. Then Moses led Israel on from the Red Sea, and they went out to the wilderness of Shur. They journeyed for three days in the wilderness without finding water. Which is quite a long time. Like, the human body shouldn't go longer than three days, probably, without water. You can go much longer without food, but water is extremely necessary. They came to Marah, but they could not drink the water at Marah because it was bitter. That is why it was named Marah. So I'm assuming the water had some sort of minerals in it that were bad. It could have been very sulfuric or lots of calcium in it or something, but they knew that they shouldn't drink it. The people grumbled to Moses, what are we going to drink? So he cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree. Then he threw it into the water. The water became drinkable. There's some theories on this. I mean, one is uh, magic, right? Like God's doing a miracle here. Um, but two, if there might be a scientific reason for why this water became drinkable. And someone did propose this idea that the sap inside this tree um, basically had a chemical reaction which brought all the heavier elements out of the water to sink to the bottom. And thus, clean water was on the top, and what was making it bitter was on the bottom. Who knows? I think it's interesting that God has different ways to accomplish his purposes. We find this in the New Testament, especially when Jesus is healing people. He doesn't necessarily always heal people the same way. He might, you know, put his hands on someone, or there's a lady that grabs his cloak and, and she's healed. Uh, he literally spits in mud and rubs it on this guy's eyes, and he is healed of blindness. Because you would expect back back here that Moses would just put his staff in this water, right? It'd be like magical staff. But that... In my opinion, maybe the reason God changes it up a lot is so people aren't tempted to worship the thing or the process. It's ultimately God who brings the healing and the health, and he can do it any way he wants because he's God. So the focus goes back on him and not Moses' staff, for example. 
He made a statute and ordinance for them at Marah, and he tested them there. He said, If you will carefully obey the Lord your God, do what is right in his eyes, pay attention to his command, and keep all his statutes, I will not inflict any illness on you I inflicted on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Which I think literally is Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah Rapha meaning uh, God who is my healer, God who heals. Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy date palms, and they camped there by the waters. That's the end of chapter 15. One more thing I wanted to talk about. Um, this bit where he says, if you're going to obey me and do you know, what is right in God's eyes, pay attention to the commands, follow the statutes, I'm not going to inflict any illnesses. Uh, the Jewish law is not without reason. We've talked a little bit about this. We haven't gone to the law necessary yet, but there are a lot of like cleanliness codes. For example, when you wash yourself, you want to wash yourself in running water. That's because you know the water's clean. You know, it's like washing yourself in a river versus a pond. The pond water, because it's stagnant, grows algae and bacteria and all kinds of gross stuff. So you wash yourself in running water. There's also like quarantining people who are sick. Now, I don't really get this one necessarily, but um, even like women who are on their period, like you're quarantined. And I guess it's because blood, I guess, can transmit diseases. The kosher law, as far as eating foods, most of the foods that are outlawed are actually foods that we know contain a great deal of bacteria and stuff that you don't want to eat, such as pork, for example. Pork is delicious, though. Bacon, yum. Pulled pork, barbecue, you got to cook it right. But, you know, that is a what would be considered an unclean animal in Judaism. So there there is reason and rhyme to a lot of the laws. And, you know, one of the reasons is so people don't get sick. But I also believe there's something to just obeying God and living righteously. And so, oh, like, I was just thinking about this the other day. Think about um, the AIDS virus, for example. We think that there's, there was someone who was bush hunting, hunting for bush meat in Africa. I mean, we've traced it back to Africa. And... They may have gotten in touch with contaminated monkey blood from a monkey that they killed that was infected because AIDS is originally a virus among primates. So the um, virus went from a primate into a human. And that human must have been pretty promiscuous for it to have evolved and infected so many people and killed so many people today. Well, the gist of it is if you marry someone and you and your marriage partner only ever have each other um, for your entire life, like you don't cheat on each other, you don't have other people before or whatever, like you're you're not going to get AIDS, for example, or other sexually transmitted diseases. Well, this is what is put forth by God also, as we already know with Adam and Eve, it's one spouse for your entire life. And in a, in a way, very real way, that protects you from certain illnesses. So, you know, barring extraneous things like blood transplant or sharing needles with a junkie that has a disease, you know, there's other ways. You can be born with AIDS. It's not all 
you know, promiscuity or whatever. Not trying to say that, but there is definitely something to trying to walk righteously will also bring about a um, a good amount of health too. So that's the end of the chapter. And like I said, I'm not really big on chapters with songs. Like in the New Testament, you have Mary's song of praise. And a lot of people can pull a lot out of that, but I sort of, I struggle. It's doesn't, it's not speaking my language, but I do appreciate that scripture has so many different types of literature in it. You have allegory, you have parable, you have the writings that are, you know, more historic as you read them. Um, you have music, songs, you have poetry. There's a little bit of something in there for everyone, and if you lean more towards that poetry or music, you might really appreciate this song. You also might like Song of Songs, Song of Solomon in the Old Testament, which is one giant, you know, love song, basically. So, we'll, we'll move on to chapter 16 here next. Uh, oh, manna and quail provided. <laughs> We're going to see the Israelites grumble a lot and God provide for them anyway with manna, or what is it? So until then, this is James with The World's Last Night.